Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other Aspencore Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. Today we will talk about battery, battery technologies for electric vehicles. Electric mobility is a fast-growing business, especially in the domains of energy, batteries and thermal management design. Electric vehicles are alternative to their common petrol-powered counterparts, maybe an environmentally friendly alternative, but they lack one crucial feature, convenience. Electric vehicle infrastructure and battery capacity are not comparable with current vehicles. While there seems to be a petrol station everywhere, electric vehicle charging stations are not yet common, which means that drivers have to make detailed charging planes well in advance of their journey. An efficient and sustainable infrastructure with fast charging and a long-range battery will contribute to the success of electric vehicles. In this podcast, we will analyze the battery technology with Vincent Pluvinage, CEO and co-founder of 1D Battery Sciences, which has developed Synanode, a set of technologies that supercharge the amount of energy stored, speed of charging, power delivered to electric vehicle batteries. The proprietary and patented technology increases energy density and lifetime while reducing costs of electric vehicle batteries. Let's talk with Vincent. Hi Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Very good, thank you Maurizio. So before we go in deep, our community would like to get to know you a bit more. So can you tell us a bit about your backstory? Tell us more about you. Uh, well, I was born in Africa, then grew up in Paris and Brussels. I was Belgian. I'm still Belgian, but I became American later on. I studied applied physics in Belgium before going to the U.S. to do a Ph.D. Uh, my first job was AT&T Bell Labs on the East Coast. I then moved to Silicon Valley back in uh, 1987 and then um, created a number of companies. The first one I took public in 93, and the second one I took public in 99. I'm also an inventor. I have over 100 patents to my name. And uh, for the last 20 years, I've been investing and spending my time on new technologies that are uh, patented and uh, can be licensed. And for the last 10 years, uh, I've been working with our CTO, Dr. Yimin Zhu, who I met in 2012 and uh, decided after spending a year talking to him to uh, essentially buy the project he was working on since uh, 2007 together with a group of private investors and uh, help make the technology available for the mass market in lithium-ion batteries. Great. Thank you. So let's start with the electric vehicle 
the topic of of today electric vehicles and uh, related uh, problems with the batteries so what's the market for electric vehicle batteries now but in particular what's uh, the best material in terms of cost and recycling now um, can you tell me what uh, what are the next trends and uh, in terms of uh, the balance of battery chemistries worldwide how do you see the market evolving yeah so it's it's pretty well known that whether in united states in europe or in china <clears throat> the sales of uh, ev vehicle electrical vehicle is growing quite fast whereas the total car market is actually shrinking which means that we are witnessing a transformation. Now, on a global basis, uh, the percentage of EV penetration is still relatively low. Uh, but in certain markets, the penetration is already very high, with uh, countries like uh, Norway, where it had reached over 80%. So according to most of the accepted forecasts, by mid-decade 2025, uh, there will be tens of millions of EVs sold annually, uh, or certainly by the end of the decade, there will be, uh, up in, in the key markets approaching, uh, 30, 40, maybe 50% in some, some places of the new cars being uh, electrical vehicles. So there is a huge demand for lithium ion battery which uh, is the critical component in electrical vehicle, both from a point of view of securing the supply and from the point of view of uh, achieving the cost targets. Uh, simply put, the battery today is still the most expensive component of an EV. And in order to reach the masses, i.e. to be able to uh, enable people to uh, afford buying electrical vehicle, Batteries have to become cheaper so that uh, the the cars can be made uh, profitably at a low, and sold at a lower price. So, talking about uh, batteries, so we could talk also about the second life. Uh, so, can you explain a little bit what a second life battery is? So, what are the benefits of using batteries technologies? I mean, in second life applications. Yeah, so again, the, the, uh, the key points about electrical vehicle can be summarized into two key topics that is of interest to most people. Uh, one topic has to be, uh, you know, how do we make, uh, these vehicle, uh, a winner in terms of fighting climate change and, and, uh, reducing, uh, the carbon footprint. And I think that the second topic is how can we uh, make batteries in a way that is responsible from a point of view of both natural resources as well as all of the manufacturing processes that are, that are going into it. So with respect to second life, I think that the, uh, the key is that there is a lot of material that goes into lithium-ion batteries. And at the end of the... During the, the life of a car, the battery progressively lose a little bit of its capacity to store energy. So after you have driven many miles over many years, uh, a full charge will result in a battery that can deliver uh, maybe 
60, 70, 80% of the original uh, energy storage when you first bought the car. And so why does that matter? Well, because then the question is, what do you do with the battery at the end of uh, the useful life of the battery in the, in the, in the EV? And, uh, and many people are working on this. And I think that there is uh, two specific uh, meaning to the world, the words second life. One is to recycle the battery to extract the original components, for example, the lithium, the graphite, the nickel, etc., so that they can be used to make new batteries. And that's what people call circularity. The second is the ability to use those batteries in other applications, because when you charge and discharge a battery in a car, you, of course, want to ensure that you have as long as a range on a full charge as possible. But even a battery that has only retained 80% of its original capacity or 70% of its original capacity may be very useful in renewable energies. For example, in applications uh, where the battery stores the electrical energy coming from solar panels or, or wind. And, and the reason is um, those renewable sources of energy needs energy storage because they fluctuate during the day. And therefore, uh, we need to store the energy that is made, for example, with solar cells uh, at noon so that that energy can be delivered to the grids in the middle of the night when people are recharging their EVs. And so batteries can have two types of second life, uh, recycling and reuse. So your technology is uh, is using uses special uh, silicon nanowires to significantly improve graphite anodes as well as increase the energy density lifespan and cost efficiency of electric vehicle batteries uh, so can you then tell us what are your advantages also in comparison with lithium ion batteries so how are you solving the thermal problems thermal management problems inside that and uh, What challenges does your Synanode platform solve? Yeah, so uh, all of the EV batteries are lithium-ion batteries. And for the rest of the decade, that's going to remain the case because there is a huge amount of factories being built or already built. Now, when you charge the battery, you basically plug the, the car into the electrical grid and you charge the electricity into the anode, which is made of graphite. And the electrons meet the lithium ion in the graphite in the anode, and that's where the energy is stored. And then you unplug the car and you drive away, and the graphite releases the electrons and the lithium ion, and then you can just drive until the, the car is discharged. Now, graphite is a very, very useful uh, material, It's already produced in huge quantities, millions of tons per year. And over the years, there's been two types of graphite produced, natural graphite and synthetic graphite. In particular, the natural graphite comes from mines and has a much lower carbon footprint and is less expensive. One of the things that our technology does, which is very unique, is that we add silicon to the graphite, whether it's synthetic graphite or natural graphite. 
And how do we do that is that is very, very uh, special. We developed that over a decade and filed patents more than a decade ago. And so what we create is those little hair of silicon that can grow, for example, on the outside surface or inside the pores of natural or synthetic graphite. And when you do that, you accomplish three things. The first is that the amount of energy that can be stored is much higher. So by adding even a modest amount of silicon to the graphite in the way we do it, we can triple the amount of energy stored per kilogram of anode material. That means that the lithium ion first alloy with the silicon in addition to continue intercalating in the graphite. And that means that you can have lighter batteries that have a longer range. I think the second thing that our technology does that is unique is that it increases charging speed. Because the, lit- the little hair of silicon can essentially accept energy and release energy much faster than graphite, we have the ability to uh, allow fast charging about four times faster than the graphite. So the lithium alloys with the silicon nanowires at four times the speed, which means that you can recharge much faster, for example, from a 10% uh, charge to a 80% charge in a battery that incorporates our technology. And that's very significant because it means that people can stop and, and stay a lesser amount of time in a charging station, which is both convenient for them and convenient for the charging network because you want the charging station to be available for as many customers as possible. And then the third thing we do, which is quite extraordinary, is that our manufacturing process is so efficient is that we reduce cost, which means that by adding the silicon, even including all the costs related to a manufacturing process, the dollar per kilowatt hours that is necessary for building a lithium anode for EV batteries is far less, more than half, which means that this is a cost reduction. Also, by using natural graphite and adding our silicon, compared to the synthetic graphite that is imported, for example, in the United States from China, we can achieve a reduction in carbon footprint of the material that goes into the anode for EV batteries by over 70%. That's very, very significant because in one EV, you have as much as 70 kilograms of graphite. And if that graphite has been imported from China, that means it's been transported all the way from China to United States. And in China, to make the artificial graphite, a lot of the electricity used comes from coal plants, which have a very big carbon footprint. So the advantages are, number one, lighter batteries that can uh, drive for a longer range. Number two, faster charging. Number three, lower cost. And finally, lower carbon footprint. Talking about electric vehicles and battery, we... Uh, we cannot talk about uh, scaling and supply chain. So what about scaling and supply chain limitations, problems? So from uh, a material perspective, what trends are you uh, seeing, noticed in uh, in the supply chain for EV? You know, I'm so glad you asked this question, Maurizio, because that's probably the most important question right now 
on the mind of all of our customers, the OEM, the people making cars. Uh, we all know that supply chains are very tricky because you need to ramp up volume to very huge quantities. And there is three things that are difficult for the OEMs. Not only they have to secure the manufacturing capacity for making batteries, but they have to go upstream from that and securing all the material that goes into those batteries many years in advance. So I think that the three trends that I would like to point out, one is what I call vertical integration. All of the OEMs, whether it's Tesla, the GM, VW, you can read it in the news, they've all taken upon themselves to entering into long-term contract to supply both the manufacturing of EV cells and the manufacturing of material that goes into those EV cells for many years to come. The second trend that is obvious is the OEM want to be able to source both material and batteries in each of the key markets. Batteries are expensive, but also heavy. And moving them around the world is not at uh, optimum from a cost perspective. So all of the uh, global, strand, uh, global chain strategies involve what I call localization. That means localization of supply in China, localization of supply in the United States, and location of supply in Europe. And I think that the last and most important trend is what I call uh, reducing risks. And reducing mm -hmm. risk means to be able to rely on multiple suppliers. Now, how does 1D addresses this? Well, we address these uh, challenges in a very unique way that none of our competitors can match. The first piece is that we don't try to replace graphite. We actually enhance the supply of EV-grade graphite already being produced by a number of leading suppliers. The number two is that we can do that not with one uh, graphite supplier, but with many graphite suppliers, which means that you can have a couple of, for example, large suppliers in the United States, and we add silicon to their uh, powders to basically enhance the anode material, and we can do the same in Europe and in Asia. That really reduces the risk. And the final and most important part is that because we started 15 years ago, we have over 245 granted patents around the world. That means as a technology provider, we have enough IP in terms of granted patent, more than our competitors combined, that we can have a large-scale licensing model. So we have designed a pilot plant where we make available to our customers small factories to process the graphite of their chores and add silicon for the EV battery qualification, which takes a couple of years and requires many, many tons to make tens maybe five, 10,000 battery pack for commercial qualification. But then the next step, we actually can rely on partners that are large, established, proven industrial companies, which have the expertise to really deliver large-scale processing plant for, let's say, 10,000 tons, 20,000 tons. And we don't pretend we're going to build that ourselves. We actually enable that through a licensing program. And that reduces the risk to all of our customers, both in terms of execution risk and also cost of capital. Now, there is a good analogy in the semiconductor business to be mentioned. 
You know that Intel for many decades is making microprocessors. And they not only design the microprocessors, but they make their own foundries to produce those microprocessors. Now, in the world of microprocessor, there is another model. And the other model was started many decades ago by a small company called ARM in the UK. And ARM has designed the building block of microprocessors in what's called the ARM IP foundations. And they call that, for example, Cortex or other names. They make that available to many companies around the world. For example, companies like NVIDIA or companies like Apple. Apple then can design its own microprocessor, which they call Apple Silicon, which takes into account the IP provided by ARM, but also all the knowledge that Apple has of how the user uses its software on its laptop and iPad. And then when it's time to manufacture, Apple can then tape out the design of the microprocessor to TSMC in Taiwan, which is the world's leading foundry. That model has proven to be the most efficient, and everybody in the computer industry knows that Apple replaced the Intel CPU by the Apple Silicon, which is basically based on licensing the IP from ARM and manufacturing at TSMC. That is exactly our business model. So in addition to technology advantage and cost advantage, we also have a business model advantage, which is very appreciated by our customers. I guess that uh, talking about uh, technologies, quantum and artificial intelligence uh, would be very interesting, will help the chemistry of the batteries in the next future. So uh, what do you think? Are there R&D projects that are involving quantum and uh, AI? Well, let, let me talk about AI because that's a very interesting topic. You know, when you assemble the design of a new EV cell, you need to put together a technology stack, which includes many different parameters. Some have to do with the cathode material, others with the anode material, others with the electrolyte, and then the dimension, the manufacturing processes, etc., etc. And then you need to optimize that design for the specific application, for example, a high-end car, or middle of the ranch car, etc., which have different characteristics. Well, today, a lot of the design used to be based on really information that resided in the cell makers. But what happened about 10 years ago, which is uh, really a revolution in the world of batteries, is that Tesla started collecting data on all of the cell in every car they sold which means that when I have my Tesla, I drive it differently than you or somebody else in Europe on different roads and different weather, and I recharge it in a different way, which means that the thousands of cells in my battery pack get discharged and recharged differently during those different driving conditions and charging cycles. All of that data is uploaded up in the air in the clouds and analyzed. Now, if you have about a thousand cells, for example, in one EV, and you have a million EVs on the road, that means you have a billion cell data per day, which means you have in a, you know, a third of a year, 100 billion data points about how those cells discharge and recharge. 
And then you can use AI to mine that data. And that mining has two effects. First, you can push update to the battery management systems so that even a year after purchasing my Tesla, it will drive better. And the second piece is that when you design the next generation, you have information that is unbelievably valuable for the next design. Now, Tesla is not the only one in doing that. We know that VW and Porsche and GM and others are also planning to have over-the-air updates and to collect the information from all of its customers. So the trend is the following. Data is gold. And battery data is even more important because you need to really optimize the design, not only for yield and cost, but for long-term performance, safety, and reliability. And at the end of the day, it's just like in search engine. The search engine of Google exceeded the performance of Yahoo search engine because Google was able to essentially improve its algorithm using a ton of traffic. And as the traffic increases, the ability to AI, to be using AI to optimize also increases. And we call that a network effect. So the role of software and AI in battery design and battery production is only beginning and will continue to increase for the rest of the decade. For sure, electric transportation is uh, revolutionizing mobility in a way that we, we have never seen before. Infrastructure is, uh, will be the next challenge that we will have to, to face. Green energy, but energy storage to compensate the, the period of, of no energy, as you mentioned. What are the biggest priorities in radically expanding electric vehicle charging infrastructure and related technologies and meeting or surpassing targets? So when consumers are considering electric vehicles for purchase today, what limitations, what electric vehicle limitation do you think hamper people from making a purchase? So I think that the, the key point, if you're going to transform a large percentage of the transportation from ICE to EV, is basically price and availability. And uh, price means that energy cost needs to be affordable which means that the amount of energy that is produced from all sources, both fossil or natural gas, nuclear and solar and wind, um, have to be uh, uh, available to manufacture batteries, manufacturing cars, and provide enough energy in the charging network at an affordable cost. So that's the, the first piece. The second piece is, of course, uh, availability means that the number of charging station and the efficiency of those charging station must increase. The number means designing enough charging station and building them so that more and more users can on one charge go around their business and when they need it, recharge, which, which has to do with both the length of travel on one charge, which is called the range, and also the density of the network, which is accessibility, and number three, the convenience, which is how long you need to stop to recharge. And those three factors really determine the uh, acceptability or coverage, if you wish, of the charging network. We will see 
a lot of different models to do that, all the way from recharging in parking lots to recharging on the road, recharging at home, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this will be progressive. It will not uh, happen at once, but it's doable. And of course, this requires a long-term energy policy and infrastructure policy in each of the key markets. So, Vincent, my last one. We are in conclusion. What's next from your technology? Well, I think we will be announcing some very uh, interesting news about 1D and its adoptions uh, by uh, OEMs, and we look forward to doing so. I think that our technology uh, is the leading technology in silicon anode because it has the highest performance, it has the lowest cost, and it's the most scalable thanks to our IP and our licensing business model. But we also need to be realistic. There is no one-size-fits-all. And in order to make this available to a large number of customers and to progress in the performance metrics and the cost metrics will take years because as in any large-scale manufacturing, there is what's called learning curves. And learning curve is step-by-step improving design and improving production so that performance keeps going up and cost keeps coming down. And we look forward to that. Thank you, Vincent. Thanks uh, for joining us at the Power Up uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vincent. So the key points about electric vehicles can be summarized into two key topics that are of interest to most people. One topic has to be how uh, do we make these vehicles a winner in terms of fighting climate change and reducing the carbon footprint. And the second topic is uh, how can we make batteries in a way that is responsible from a point of view of both natural resources as well as uh, all of the manufacturing processes. According to Vincent, Sinanode technology does increase the charging speed because the little hair of silicon can essentially accept energy and release energy much faster than graphite. They have the ability to allow fast charging about four times faster than graphite. Three things that are difficult for the OEMs are not only that they have to secure the manufacturing capacity for making batteries, but they have to go upstream from that and secure all the material that goes into those batteries many years in advance. So he thinks that uh, there are three trends. One is called vertical integration, entering into long-term contract to supply both the manufacturing of EV cells and the manufacturing of materials that goes into those cells for many years to come. The second trend is that OEMs want to be able to source both material and batteries in each of the key market. And the last and the most important trends, according to Vincent, is what he calls reducing risks. And reducing risk means to be able to rely on multiple uh, suppliers. The role of software and AI in battery design and battery production is only beginning and will continue to increase for the rest of the decade. He thinks that uh, the key points from ICE to EV is basically 
price and uh, availability. And price means that energy cost needs to be affordable. The second piece is, of course, availability. It means that the number of charging stations and the efficiency of those charging stations must increase. Vincent is going to announce some very interesting news about 1D and its adoption by OEMs. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspencore Media, the host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio, and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening. See you next episode. Stay tuned.